everybody. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Two Body Problem podcast, where we discuss academic relationships. This is Akshay. And I'm Sarah. And today we're super excited to have our friends Peter and Kat join us. So we met them in grad school and we're excited to hear all of their insights. So without further ado, let's bring them on. Okay. Wait, Peter, are you going to sit somewhere? Gonna... <laughs> should I grab another chair? I should grab another chair. No, you should sit and I'll sit in your lap. <laughs> okay, fine. Sorry, we're still figuring this out. <laughs> okay. How are I... you guys? Good. We're good. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for coming on our podcast. We're super excited to have you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Um, do you guys want to start by maybe introducing yourselves and you can tell us like, who you are and maybe what you worked on in school and what you're up to now? Sure. So my name is Peter. Uh, I got my PhD in May of 2020, uh, towards the beginning of this COVID pandemic uh, in material science and engineering from MIT. Um, I'm currently an American Institute of Physics slash AAAS Congressional Science Fellow working as a staffer in the US Senate. Nice. Yeah, and I'm Kat. Um, so I graduated my with my undergrad um, from MIT. I majored in math and literature, and I'm currently working at McKinsey in Boston. That's awesome. Um, and so, so we all know each other through MIT. Um, I think so. Peter and I were in the same department, but also worked together on the Graduate Student Council, and then. Kat, I think, I think I met you before you knew Peter, at least. I don't know if I knew you before I knew Peter. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Sarah, I definitely like met you before I met Peter mm-hmm. uh, because I was already working in the UA when you were president. And then afterwards, Peter became president. And that's why I like heard of Peter, um, but like didn't really like meet him yet. Mm. Right. And then also, I think when you were a freshman and I was in my second year, we were like on that um, musical together. Yes. Oh, my God. I totally forgot about that. Yes. I like didn't know you were a grad student and I was stage managing a show that you were a part of. Yeah. yeah. It was like <laughs> a play. It was like a play about or a, a musical about MIT. Yeah. Um, it was very meta. <laughs> it was a good time. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm the least important person on this call because your <laughs> has been like a significant person in student government at MIT, except for me. You also had an important role. You were the conflict manager, right? <laughs> AKA IREF. Yes, um, but I wasn't as high up in the chain. <laughs> still very important, still very important. Yeah. So, how did you guys meet? Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, I mean, it was it was through our student government work at MIT. Uh, I mean, I was president of the Graduate Student Council. Uh, Kat was vice president of the Undergraduate Association. And we sort of just met through different things that the administration did, where they invited both the GSC and the UA and also through sort of uh, joint stuff that we did as well. I, I mean, at this point, I don't remember exactly the first time we met. Like, I don't know, Kat, if you remember the exact first time. 
I don't think so. You just, like, see people's names, right? And sometimes you're like, oh, yeah, like, that's Peter or, like, that's Sarah. And, like, I know their position, but you kind of don't know them, like, mm-hmm. personally because um, you only just, like, see each other in meetings or whatever. Right. So that that's sort of... <laughs> Very uninspiring, like, how did we first meet each other? Um, but but that also makes sense because our first impressions are very much just like, oh yeah, like clearly Peter's competent, otherwise he wouldn't be where he is. Um, clearly Sarah's like competent, and actually I'm sure you're cool too. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's interesting because I think y- you guys and then also us, like we were initially colleagues, and then we got into a relationship, and and you guys were initially colleagues and then you got into a relationship right and I feel like at least for us that certainly impacted like a little bit of our dynamic um at the beginning do you think that that kind of impacted your dynamic in any way yeah I mean so so basically what had happened was my um sophomore year when I got elected vice president Peter reached out and was like hey like do you want to like grab coffee like talk about your goals for the year and just like talk about how we would work together and I thought it was a very like professional conversation and so we ended up just like chatting at Darwin's for like two hours and just started talking about life and stuff and only later did I realize Peter was actually just like getting to know me as a person um, and then um, he would invite me to like some of the GSC events just like social events um, and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I did make it a point to invite the UA to stuff because I wanted the GSC and the UA to have a good relationship with each other. Um, I mean, there's a there's enough sort of infighting going around between students and the administration. Uh, I didn't really want the student body having to fight amongst themselves. So, uh, yeah, not, a lot of that wasn't, it wasn't a personal thing at first. It was, it was very much like a sort of business, like, you know, you have to get to know the people that you work with type of thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then it wasn't until after my term had ended, basically, Peter texted a mutual friend of ours um, to make sure I was single because he's very risk adverse, clearly. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. That's hilarious. That's interesting because I feel like um, in my and Sarah's case, um, it was, I think to some people, it wasn't clear exactly when we started dating and like, if Sarah was still in our group um, when we started dating. Uh, I think it also helps that versus like you guys working in the same lab, like Peter and I had very few mutual friends at that point. Like the only folks who knew both of us were in one of the student governments, um, which was very distinct from my like dorm life and social life. Yeah. Yeah, so like, I guess we very much had like a fairly normal, quote unquote normal, getting to know each other period uh because yeah we we actually we interacted on very much in like a professional setting um and that wasn't even that many times it was only a couple of times uh so yeah and like we didn't have any of the same friend groups really so it was very much like introducing each to each other uh, each other to our friends as well was also like a thing and stuff like that so yeah and like the the folks who knew both of us kind of separately were either like like my RAs are just like <laughs> random TAs that I had or just like people who are just like oh like hi and I'm like hey there like <laughs> I, we know each other I um remember like at the end of like 
some GSC year or something like there was an event where like everyone who worked on like this project like we all like went to somebody's house and like played games or something and then oh my gosh I remember that yeah, I, oh my god and you asked me you were like are you a grad student I'm like I didn't I, I thought because I didn't realize you're you were there with Peter like mm-hmm. as Peter's like guest and I was like oh I didn't like I knew Kat was in the UA I didn't know she also was working on this project with us and or like was on this committee I was like oh so how are you involved and then I was like wait oh my gosh (laughs) I I was literally just a Ruth Peter (laughs) I think I texted you Peter after yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah I, I, I did not make that very clear yeah I'm sure people had similar like uh, questions about what what the two of us were doing like <laughs> always together um but I feel like because we like started by kind of working together I almost like when we got into a relationship I was like okay we need a project to work on together um and I decided that that project would be actually teaching me Hindi but that was also I think me like being averse to relationships at that point and being like very very skeptical and needing something like a type of relationship I was familiar with like a working relationship to have some aspect of that mm-hmm. in like that kind of relationship if that makes sense um yeah. but yeah yeah something to sort of bind it in a way that felt comfortable and let you sort of branch out from there I think that that makes sense we didn't really we have that on anything professionally together <laughs> funny enough really funny like yeah. Right now, all of our teamwork is when we're like cooking together, and I just get annoyed that Peter takes forever to chop vegetables. And, like <laughs> that's the extent of our working together. Yeah. That's funny. And another thing I'm curious about. So I know that undergraduates and grad students at MIT have very different like cultures. Maybe more so than other universities. Did you guys find that there's almost a cultural difference, so to speak, like when you started dating because of the different kind of places you are coming from? Hmm. (laughs) Yeah, in a way, but also I think Peter's very flexible. Like for example, um, I would show him like my dorm, which is definitely one of the more out there places on campus. Um, And you know, Peter's very much like, yeah, okay, like, there are murals on the walls, like, there are cats walking around, like, that's cool, um, and I think he just kind of accepted it. Yeah, I think, I think we probably got pretty lucky in that sense, because um, it was definitely, it, it was definitely a, a culture shock in a way, but I, I do sort of, pride myself in being a flexible person and being willing to kind of go with the flow and adapt to what's happening. Um, so, I mean, nothing was like a giant red flag or anything. So I was like, yeah, this is, this is fine. It's, it's different, but it's fine. But I would totally agree. Yeah. Like there was a cultural difference. I mean, I hadn't also like, you know, I hadn't been an undergrad for a while. Um, and I think the, the work schedule also gets diff- is different between grad and no, undergrad schedule is exactly the same like you guys just stay up until 3 a.m in your labs and we just stay up <laughs> like in our dorms like there's no difference <laughs> yeah I guess that's kind of fair was there anything that stood out to either of you as like the biggest like culture shock or like difference between you know your individual like way of life and the other person 
I think for me, it was sort of my, the way I typically operate is like very uh, habit-based, right? Like I do, it's, it's very, yeah, it's very routine. I do the same things relatively over and over again. Uh, and Kat very much does not like constant routines, yeah, like, you know, I don't enjoy having the same meal more than, like, two nights in a row. Or, like, you know, I like excitement and, like, spontaneously going places um, or just, like, having things happening around me. Um, I think I get more energy off of that than routine. Yeah, so that was definitely sort of the biggest thing um, because I had to get used to sort of things just kind of happening <laughs> all the time. <laughs> But that's definitely just like an undergrad thing, right? Like there are parties, there's energy, like, oh, it's only 10 p.m. Like, um, like now, like once I'm an alumni, I've like hopped into some of our old like house government calls and they would start at 10 p.m. and go into midnight. And I'm like, I cannot believe like important decisions were made at 11 p.m. when like no one is lucid. But that is the way things used to be. Yeah. We were actually just talking about this yesterday of like how we would sum up the difference, the biggest difference between the two of us. And I think Sarah came up with a really nice analogy that if if we have like two breakfast cereals that the two boxes of different breakfast cereals available to us, then Sarah will open up both and have both um, like at different times. And I will use one up, finish it and then open up the other one. Yeah, that's exactly me and Peter. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> Yeah, that's actually a pretty good way to describe it. It's it's that's that's very much spot on. <laughs> so when you guys both graduated and then like went on to look for jobs, what was that process like? Yeah, totally. So um, I went into consulting, and that recruiting cycle happens really early. So by basically September, my senior fall, I had signed, and I knew that I was going to stay in Boston. Mm -hmm. um, because I like, you know, you just have to like commit pretty early on to like what city you want to be in. Um, and at that point, we'd only been together for like not that long. So I just kind of like went and made a decision. Yeah, that was five months in, four yeah. months in, I think. Um, I mean, like for me, I was fairly certain I was going to end up in DC, not like 100% because uh, I didn't get my position until the following spring like, until like April, March. yeah March March or April um and like the applications for the fellowship weren't even due until December and January uh so like I think what helped a lot so like we knew immediately that like we probably weren't going to be in the same place um I think what helped a lot with the fact that since Kat was going into consulting we knew she was gonna be traveling anyways um, so like, even if we were in the same city during like, the, during the week, it wouldn't matter because she'd be somewhere else on, on the client site. Um, so it, it wasn't as hard for me to say, I will be in DC and then like, we'll just have weekends where like we go visit each other in DC or Boston, or maybe even in the client city. Um, and then of course COVID throws everything <laughs> into for a loop anyways um but that was sort of the original plan when we both had taken our positions um it's it's also really interesting to me that um so both all of us i feel like have transitioned into jobs that are outside of like traditional academia 
And one of the things that we've been finding is that just like academics like using a lot of jargon, people in the corporate world also like using a lot of corporate jargon, which is sometimes useful and sometimes isn't. And so we were curious if you've picked up uh, any corporate jargon which you find hilarious or which you like using. Oh, this is definitely a, a cat question coming from McKinsey. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. All day. It's just like one, one of my favorites that I hate is like stakeholdering. So like, I understand that stakeholders is a noun, but like stakeholdering as a verb, like to talk to different stakeholders and make sure they're all on the same page is like a step too far. Literally. Um, me. Oh my God. <laughs> Like, that's the worst. Um, the other ones are just like, you know, like, let's put that in the parking lot during meetings. Um, and also saying, like, do you have bandwidth to, like, do a task? Yeah. We also use the word deck a lot instead of, like, PowerPoint presentation. We'll just be like, oh, just, like, send me over that deck. Um, I think those are the main ones. I, like, try not to pick up on too many of them. <laughs> that's so funny. I, yeah, so now that I'm working for this, nonprofit, I am encountering all of these words. And I know that it's hypocritical to think that these words are stupid. Whereas like academics, like we say, I'm sure we say things oh, that yeah. people think are ridiculous, but I'm just more used to them. So we're totally thinking of doing just an entire episode where we kind of like urban dictionary, these different um, corporate <laughs> terms. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the, the worst thing I think I've encountered is the fact that we had to do so many memos ah. um, and it's like to me a memo is just like a more formal email it's pretty much the, the exact same thing it's just written text saying something like telling giving information um, but it's just like you also have to you put in a separate word document it's like a sentence is an attachment instead <laughs> um, <laughs> and it just feels like an extra step in a lot of ways is there like a header is it really formal yeah it's like it's even got like you know it's got a from a to a subject a date and it's like this is all stuff that would be in the email that you send with everything attached <laughs> that's really funny so can you guys talk a little bit about how you decided to go into these careers that are um, kind of like le less academic paths? I guess, Kat, for you, like it's less uncommon to go into consulting after undergrad than grad school maybe. But yeah, I'm just curious how you decided on these different careers. Yeah, so I can start. Um, so consulting, I think, is more popular like after an MBA. Um, but the question for me was like, did I want to go into grad school? And I think I figured out by like freshman year, like, no, like, first of all, math grad school is like too hard. <laughs> like that's just too much thinking evolved. Um, but I realized I didn't want to like be a programmer or go into anything technical. Um, but I love just like working with people and like solving problems. And so I decided to like go into business and go into consulting. Yeah. Um, for me, my path was definitely unexpected. I mean, I think when I was starting my PhD, uh, so I guess I should back up. You knew you wanted to get a PhD. I did know I wanted to get a PhD. Mm -hmm. So the reason, okay, so my, my father is actually, he has a PhD in math. Mm -hmm. um, he uh, immigrated from China and he got his PhD in the US. And That's when also he, literally my father for the record. <laughs> We have, we, don't have the same we have odd family parallels that are very interesting. 
um, could be another story. <laughs> but uh, so, uh, yeah, when, but he actually, he really wanted to be a professor. But I think by the time he finished his PhD here in the US, his view of his, the chance of him being a professor here in the US, because he didn't want to go back to China, um, was that he was graduating from a, you know, a, a non-top tier school and his English wasn't amazing. So he didn't, I, I guess he didn't really feel like he had the opportunity to become a professor. Um, I mean, he's doing fine. He's doing programming work. And he, I mean, this was the nineties where it was just starting to boom and he, he's yeah. doing fine and everything. But I think a lot of that sort of desire to be a professor sort of, he moved onto us as kids. Yeah. Um, so we had talked a decent amount about, you know, maybe me being a professor because I already knew I was going to do a PhD. Um, so like when I got to MIT, my initial thought was definitely like, yeah, maybe I'll be a professor. It's, it sounds like a, with tenure, it's a very much a very ideal life. Yeah, <laughs> like if you, if you can get tenure, it's awesome. Um, but I think by the end of my first year, as I sort of better understood the tenure process, I was like, this is kind of a pain in the butt to, you know, eventually slave away for several years until you get your tenure. And then you can finally, quote unquote, be free. Mm -hmm. um, so I pretty much didn't really want to do that by the end of my first year. Um, also, in my first year, I got involved with the Science Policy Initiative and the Graduate Student Council. Uh, specifically with sort of the advocacy work on the Graduate Student Council on the GSC. Um, and that got me my first exposure to policy and to DC. And I think it ended just being that I found trying to solve those problems, right, the policy problems, really, really interesting. Um, because not only is there sort of a technical data-driven sort of side to things and the way, the way you think about but there's also a very much a politics and personal side, right? Like the policy impacts people. So the people actually really matter. It's never just the data, right? Like the data never tells the full story. Um, and trying to sort of square the, what the data says and what people feel, right? And experience was just like a really interesting problem set. Uh, it, it, if you wanna think about it in like a very technical fashion. Right. Um, so that sort of captured me. Um, and by I got like more involved with the GSC and their advocacy work. And by like my third year, I was like pretty set on doing policy as a career coming out of the PhD. Nice. Do you miss the research work of like like scientific research at all, like being in the lab? Yeah, I mean, I, I really I did love being in the lab. It was sort of like, you know, you, you get a chance to mess with, mess with really awesome equipment and like see new things that, you know, maybe you're not the first person discovering it necessarily, but like you're discovering it for yourself. It was like the first time that you've seen it, right? And sort of that discovery and like solving problems, I, I do miss that. Um, but I felt, I guess the lab, lab work always feels to me like it's sort of more removed from the final impact than I liked. Yeah. Um, at least the stuff that I was working on. Um, so I'm, 
I mean, I'm, I'm very happy that I'm working on policy because I feel like, you know, if I can actually solve those problems that I'm talking about, right? Like the, not only the policy, but the politics and work all of that out, like the stuff that I can get through directly impacts people's lives in a sense. Yeah. But yeah, I do miss the lab. Maybe at some point, if I make enough money, I build like a lab in the house or something. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Get enough equipment. <laughs> what? I'm so us over. <laughs> yeah, the other day we were watching a video that we had made a few years ago of Sarah using the DEM. Um, mm. And I became very nostalgic. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, if you leave academia for a year or two, there's really no going back. And it's, yeah. Still, like you spend so many years like honing this one skill, and then you never use it again, and it's it's very sad for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it sometimes does feel like a waste, mm -hmm. right? And, um, I mean, I, I, I when I've talked with my parents about what I'm doing, uh, I've actually gotten a, a reasonable amount of pushback on, you know, like. The fact that I'm not using any of the skills that I picked up uh, from doing all that research and spending five years at MIT, yeah, there's there's definitely a, a sense that there's some time wasted, um, and like, yeah, I do sometimes wish I was able to do some of the stuff that I was doing in lab, but definitely not all of it. Yeah. I think also for us, because we are both into so into teaching, it was really cool to have access to all of this cool equipment that you could use as you're teaching. Like, um, you don't just have to say that um, an electron is a wave, you can show it on, on a microscope. Um, so yeah. that's something that- You sound like the coolest teachers ever. Like, <laughs> you just be like, yeah, go look at this electron wave. Like, <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> Um, and in academia, you have easy access to these tools, but you don't necessarily have as much of a chance to teach. And then you go outside of academia to teach, but then you don't have access to those tools anymore. So it's kind of unfortunate. Yeah. So, um, and this is something that, that we've been curious about with everyone who like works to go, who like in this current like setting is. So when Sarah has a work meeting, right, I'm in the room because we have like a pretty small apartment. And so we're curious, like when you guys uh, have like different work meetings, do you have to keep your work confidential from each other? Or are you able to like share what's going on at work with each other pretty freely? How does that work? So we live in a pretty small house. So basically we're in a two bedroom apartment with four people. So I get a room uh, because I live here and then Peter and one of my other roommates shares the living room when they do the calls. Um, but in terms of my work, like, you know, all of my clients are super duper confidential. And I can say like very broadly, like this is the industry and very broadly, this is the kind of work. Um, but I can't tell him like anything more than that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, all my work is also relative, like the actual details are, con are, are confidential, right? Because I'm like working on potential new policies mm. and yeah, like nobody's supposed to know any of that that's happening because there's, I mean, there's a lot of things that can go wrong if if people know that type of thing ahead of time before it comes out. Um, 
but what also helps is the fact that we also live with two roommates um one of them who also does consulting one of the, whom works in a stealth startup so nobody can talk about their work in general <laughs> <laughs> like as a general rule we just like don't ask each other about work right um, so instead we talk about other things right so, so Kat, if you were like in a call with a client and Peter needed to like grab something from the room, that would be a big door and I just ignore the knocks. <laughs> that's what happens. <laughs> For me, I could never work on anything confidential. Like I, because I, I, I have to be able to talk about what I'm doing. The biggest challenge for me, like in, in on graduate student council we would all like know who the commencement speaker was ahead of time and like not being able to tell him that but you did a good job of it you did I, not you did not tell me i did a good oh. job. I got a, I got a message from sarah one day she was like we just fixed the commencement speaker but i can't tell you who it is and for the next like two or three months like however long it took for mit to make it public i was just like throwing out the most random guesses about who the commencement speaker <laughs> But I never, I never said it. Um, I think if my actual work, like if I couldn't say who my clients were or something, because I, I mean, I like to be able to like, if I have a, a work problem, we definitely like tell each other like about, oh, I, okay, can you help me on this on MATLAB? Or like, here, I, I'm working on this PowerPoint. Can you help me with this? It'd be so different, I think, to not be able to say anything. Yeah, I mean, we sometimes do talk through work problems, but it's all in generalities. Mm. It's like, oh, this is what's happening, but there's no details. It's, it's very, very general. Like, oh, I'm working on a PowerPoint and I talk with my manager and this happened, or like, I've been working on a memo. We've definitely talked through work problems, just never, there's never any specific. So sometimes it gets very <laughs> funny working through the problems because We'll ask questions and be like, well, I can't really answer that. <laughs> so yeah, it, it sometimes happens, but it's harder. <laughs> Definitely harder. Yeah, like the flip side of that, right? It, it means like we have we have to have like robust conversations about things that aren't work. So you just talk about like life or like plans or like food. Um, so that's good. Board games. Board games. Lots of board games. We should get into board games. Then mm -hmm. maybe we'd talk about work less. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, it depends on what your work is, right? Like if you guys both enjoy your work and it's actually enjoyable to talk about and like, how do you actually make a big impact with it? Um, okay, so do you, was there anything that you guys wanted to like talk about or bring up that we didn't get a chance to cover so far? You know, I'm, I'm a little curious to hear more of your story, frankly, because <laughs> um, I actually, don't know that much of the history, uh, even though I, I've known both of you for a while, though obviously actually a lot less than Sarah. Um, so yeah, I, I'd love to hear sort of what your story's Should been. Should listen to the first podcast, Peter? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. Your homework. Should have done my homework. <laughs> no, we can, we can um, tell that. So, well, like we started out working for the same advisor. Um, and then I left that group like two and a half ish years in, but we we were like friends, yeah. like um, and then a little bit after I left the group, I forget, I forget how long. Um, then like we started dating, and basically like so I I am like at that point I was very very averse to like being in a relationship, and I was just I don't. 
I don't really know why. I think I just had like previous, like not so great experiences of people just kind of, I don't know, being annoying or whatever. But um, we were like friends. And I think usually if I can sense any kind of like someone being interested in that way, I will shut it down <laughs> completely. But I guess for whatever reason, I didn't do that. And then one time in like my apartment, we were just talking until like really late. And then Akshay asked me like, oh, would you want to like go on a date sometime? And I just, I just had like a <laughs> mini like anxiety attack. Not really, but I, we, I essentially like talked to, talked him through like the, my mental list of pros and cons for like two hours. And I was like, okay, you know what? If you stayed for this whole thing, like, sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, that, that's pretty good. I remember when Peter first asked me out, I didn't realize it was a date and it was in the middle of, I was like at work and I was like, yeah, let me get back to you like after work hours and then I went back and reread the message and I was like, oh, I should respond. <laughs> like, I don't want to make it seem like I'm blowing him off. Um, okay, so we had one last thing, which was, um, we were wondering if you had a particular call to action that you would like everyone to hear um, at the end of our episode this week. I just want to put in a plug. Um, I recently became a mentor for Big Brothers Big Sisters, just my local chapter. So I just want to put in a plug, awesome organization, like even though things are virtual, there are still kids in your community um, that would really, really benefit from having a positive role model in their lives. So if you have the time, uh, please consider that. That's a great idea. Thanks for that. Much better call to action than anything I've said. <laughs> God, could you tell us some more about what you do as a big brother or a big sister? Yeah, totally. Um, so there are different age groups that you could mentor. Um, but basically, I have a little sister who I meet with like once or twice a month. And your role really is to just be a friend. So you listen to them, ask them like how their day is going. Um, you can go like, you know, go for a park, uh, go like for a walk in a park or, um, you know, it's really to just have a conversation, someone who's outside of their family, someone they can trust and look up to. And it's like a multi-year commitment. So it's long term and you can really see um, folks grow and like really make a huge difference in their lives. That's so awesome. Wait, I'm literally going to sign up for that like tonight. <laughs> yeah, you should totally do it. Like I signed up. It was awesome. So I signed up for the Eastern Massachusetts um, organization, which covers like the greater Boston area. Um, and it's like super awesome and like awesome communication. You get to help people in your community and it's just like overall 10 out of 10, like would recommend. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. We really um, enjoyed hearing your perspectives and everything. Um, yeah, we had a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah thanks for having us. Thanks so much, Peter and Kat. And thanks everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed and feel free to follow us on Instagram at the Two Body Problem Pod and Twitter at the Two Body Prob Pod. See you next time. Bye.